Welcome to an incomplete guide to world domination, a podcast by creators for creators, because together we can take over the world. I'm your host, Brianna Toiber. Uh, my name is Kelsey Kaufman. I am an associate producer at Other Oceans. For those that don't know, Other Oceans, they work for Hire Studio, and we just we did just release our game Medieval on the PS4, so for those old-time fans. When I'm not working at my day job, I am a co-founder of the SF Bay Area Women in Games, also known as Ba Games for short, because it's a pretty long name to say it. And I also, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm also a Twitch streamer known as Lightning Cloud. And on Twitch, it's Lightning Cloud underscore. And that's pretty fun. You know, I'm hoping to do more with that. I'm a Twitch affiliate on it. And I'm also working on a virtual reality game on the side called Tornado Tower. That's a lot of fun stuff. And... Going back to the beginning a bit, you said like you said when we were talking on Twitter that you didn't have a whole lot growing up. Growing up where I did, it wasn't tech savvy. Majority of people that I've seen, they either become teachers or they maybe do jobs like at Bath and Body Work or Best Buy. I think the only closest thing to video games was a GameStop or Best Buy. <laughs> And my family itself, my immediate family, my parents, they're they're all teachers, even so my grandparents are. And I was the only one that out of my immediate family and my siblings that really wanted to go into something tech, like into video games. And that was kind of hard because, well, my parents can't afford too much. Uh, We didn't grow up as the richest, but I think given the circumstances, my parents really made sure that they, you know, they did the best cut, best they can, like any parent would. So we probably didn't have the most fanciest computers or TV. A lot of our consoles, I know we had to like kind of wait. I know we were given a PS1. I think eventually my dad bought a Nintendo 64. Uh, we didn't get a PS2 until like, I think three or four years after it was released. And I don't even know if I think someone else gave us that too. It's, it's kind of expensive. But I would say like, given the best circumstances my parents you now made sure that we still had a fun childhood and everything but yeah it was it wasn't a lot I know our neighbor our best friend at the time with my sister her and I were friends with this kid named Carol and like she was the only child and we always play all the cool newest stuff over there because her parents always got her the brand new stuff other times I would say when going to school you can kind of tell a little difference when you grow up and not as wealthy as others you really can I, I grew up in a small town in Tennessee where I don't even think we had a GameStop. Oh, yeah. Everything was all about science and technology. I 100% blame the fact that the town I was from was a town that enriched the uranium for the atomic bomb as part of the Manhattan Project. Oh, wow. <laughs> the Manhattan Project? That's pretty, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And like most people don't know about it because it's a small town in Tennessee. Like you blink, you miss it. But that's where I'm from. I got to see some family not this past Thanksgiving, but the year before that. And I was just talking to my cousins, and like none of them are gamers. They don't read a whole lot. And I'm just oh, sitting yeah. here like, how? It's like how? How am I the <laughs> only person in this group of people that's a nerd? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I could totally relate to that. I um, like, so because now my family was tech savvy, I shouldn't. Well, that's like the best to say, you know. None of them went to computer science. I remember when I wanted to do this. Uh, there was like in high school or in junior. 
actually the first time I decided to become anything within the game industry was I was 12 years old and I used to read this magazine called Game Informer. I still get them today, <laughs> but uh, there was this cool article and I think the person that was in the article, she was a USC professor and I think she was the one that made the game design workshop book. I'm trying to remember what her name was and I feel so bad. Uh, but I remember I was reading an article in Game Informer as a 12-year-old, and she pretty much t- was given an interview by Game Informer, and they kind of asked her, like, what, you know, how do you teach people to make games? And one of the things she brought up was that to make a game, first she does in her classes, like, she makes everyone do a solo project all by themselves, see what they can do. And then a few weeks later, she comes back to them. And she pretty much kind of proves them like it was pretty hard, huh, to make that game. And she was trying to point out that you can't really be making games without by yourself unless, you know, without help. And she was explaining how having teamwork would be a big, it's a big deal in game development. And if you can't work with others, don't go into the industry. That's kind of like what I got from it. It's not that it's impossible to make a game by yourself. You know, there are uh, there are people that do it. Um, it just takes a lot longer, or the, maybe they aren't as nice, uh, as uh, polished up as some people would like if you do it by yourself. If you don't, because you don't know every aspect. But she was pr- pretty much saying that you know you want to go in the game industry, you need to know how to work with others. And me, as twelve year old, you know, I worked pretty well with others. I thought, and I thought it was just so cool that someone taught video games. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. So as a twelve year old, I'm like, I'm gonna go to. University of Southern California. I'm going to USC. That happened? Well, no. But, <laughs> but as a 12-year-old, I'm like, I'm going to do that. Um, except it, it was a private school. And, you know, I remember even ask, telling my parents when and my family that I wanted to go into video games. As um, I think in high school, I was kind of thinking about it. And, and they kind of thought it was like a phase. Like, okay. It's like, yeah, she likes video games. But, uh, you know, is this... Um, like, are you sure you really want to do that? You know, and you can't blame them, like blame them on that. It's it's just that video games at the time, it wasn't looked as it is now being part of that industry. I think back then people were like, okay, you play video games, you want to make them, all you do is just play them, right? They didn't think it was a hardcore industry like it is today. It's always been a hardcore industry. It's just people are slowly starting to take it more seriously. That I have noticed, at least from my perspective, I've noticed that it's definitely getting more um, respect, I think. Not, not that there's anything bad in the game industry, too. Every, I think every type of industry has their good and bad. But one of the worst moments, I shouldn't say worst, but one of the <laughs> one thing that happened at college was I decided to go to community college. When I was in high school, I, I wanted to transfer, but I was... I didn't feel comfortable enough that I was going to make it into USC or any university. Um, even though I, I really did try and push myself, I was the first time in my family to go to calculus. And I remember in high school, I flunked that test and I felt so terrible. And I'm like, how can I apply to colleges if I, you know, got a D in calculus? So I decided to go to community college called Bakersfield College. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do math here and everything and I'm gonna like you know do my best and do the general ed that might be required for USC so I go to my counselor at Bakersfield College and this is and the gentleman there you know he looks at my credentials my transcripts he kind of asked me he's like where do you want to go 
I said, I want to go to USC and do their video game program. When he looks at my transcripts, looks back at me and looks back down, he looks back up at me again and says, you know, that's a lot of math and science, right? And I look at him and I say, I said, yeah, I know. Put me down for the classes. Like this dude already doubted me. He was thinking like, I, like he was trying to make it sound like I couldn't do it the more I was talking with him. And I didn't like that. So after that meeting, I just told myself, like, I'm not going to have him to help me. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to figure out the general ed that I'm going to do what I have to do. Was I not taught how to program like other kids did when they were a lot younger? No, but I'm going to try. I remember someone else did tell me that when I said, like, I really want to go to video game, they were all like, you know nothing about computers. You know, why would you even go into that? And I said, well, that's why we go to school. We go to school to learn. And I'm going to learn how to make games. And I'm going to learn how to use a computer more. And I said, I did. I remember I had to look up the requirements for USC by myself. And then about two years in, I went into the Mesa program, which is at Bakersfield College. It kind of helps mechanics, engineers, science. And I think I think the A stood for art. I'm trying to remember. That was more of a STEM type of program. And they had account their own personal counselor and I went to her and you know she knows that I actually did a lot of the general ed by myself and I told her like I really want to go to U- USC if it's possible and she's like okay and she's like well you know definitely you should think about other schools just in case have you heard about TAG from the UC TAG which is transfer admission guarantee and I said no I haven't and she tells me you know here's some schools that might have video games in it. Maybe you should check that out because transfer admission guarantee means if you pass all your general ed that that UC requires, you're guaranteed admission in it. I'm like, oh, okay. So to be safe, I you know looked it up and I saw UC Santa Cruz. I'm like, this is kind of nice. So I do apply just in case. I also applied to USC at the same time. Yeah. So I'm still trying to go into this private school. And I asked my dad, I said, Dad, uh, it's like, I really, it's like, can we tour these colleges? I really want to tour USC and UC Santa Cruz. And to my dad, he thought like, yes, that's awesome. And my, for USC, my dad's mom and sister and me, we went to USC and we went on the engineer tour. And it was so cool. And I was like, really fascinating. And one, it even though it doesn't have natural beauty, its architecture made it very beautiful. And I don't know if anyone knows, but they have a, I think they have a great architecture program. And just looking at these old buildings and the detail they put in the art in them was amazing. And going to the, like the libraries. I love libraries. I just love when there's like an old book. Will I read it? Not always. But I just like the feel of the book. <laughs> so, and I like the look of it. I don't know why. <laughs> Where I went to college, one of the libraries, like, it was the inspiration for the library in, Be- uh, in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, my goodness. So I love Beauty and the Beast. That's, like, my favorite movie from Disney. Oh, wow. That entire building is so pretty. After the USC tour, you know, my dad, you know, he thought it was pretty cool that I went, and I thought it was pretty awesome, and I could see myself going there. But he did also come to me kind of like what the counselor said, because uh, one of his teacher's friends, you know, my dad was telling him, was like, yeah, my daughter wants to go to USC. And they were like, well, it's like, what if she doesn't get in? Does she have a plan B or a plan C? And he's like, I don't know. So he kind of talked to me well after the tour. And, you know, him and I stayed a lot longer than my sister and mom. But he did tell me that, that, you know, it's still okay to look at other options. He said, USC is great. You know, if you get it, he's like, that'd be awesome. But, you know, just, just to be safe, you should just check out other colleges and see if you can get in them too. So I'm like, okay. I can do that. Which then we took the tour at UC Santa Cruz. Uh, this one was just my dad and me. And the funniest thing was we went on this tour. They 
because they, they said your last name to announce you're there. And they said, Kaufman. And me and this guy says, here. And we look at each other and we're like, do you mean Kaufman with a C or a K? And the guy's like, no, mine's spelled with a C, C-O-F-F. I'm like, so is mine. And we're like, no way. And we found we had the last name. And then we're and then we're thinking like, what if we're like cousins? That'd be so cool. We don't know if we're cousins or not, but we uh, <laughs> we def- it's, it's very rare to find someone with the last name. But, but that was like the fun thing on tour. But anyways, so my dad and I tour in UC Santa Cruz together, and beautiful campus. Like the buildings aren't the prettiest. I'll give them that. And but each building is different because they have different districts or different um they call them different colleges at UC Santa Cruz. I think they have up to ten. Colleges, they might be making 11 and 12, if I recall. Uh, but every college was a little different with their own aesthetic based on what the meaning of their college was. And we saw that. But the nature of it, the beauty and the grand look of it, just on the hikes and just seeing the beach and the mountains. So so the main campus is on a hill, for those that don't know, and the city's down below. So you feel like the college is separate from the town. But from the campus, you can see the ocean and, you know, you're in this beautiful forest on the mountain. So I loved it. And we looked into this and knowing me, I like to say I get my adventurous side from my dad a lot because he's kind of spontaneous. He'll just go like, let's just go do something. And I'm, I'm kind of like that too. My mom is definitely more cautious. So sometimes if I get my cautious ways, that's definitely my mom's side. So I think being spontaneous and still cautious at the same time works for me. So that way I don't do something too crazy and fun. But I mean, I'll do something fun, but it's not too crazy. <laughs> it depends on the circumstance. There are lots of things that keeps you there, lets you live life and keeps you from getting in too much trouble. Yes, yes, pretty much, yes. Um, so at this campus at UC Santa Cruz, we go into Jack Baskin, and I was told on the third floor is where the video game senior students are. So my dad and I decided to go up there, and I decided to knock <laughs> on the door. And this lady had to show us, you know, and uh, where it was. And I just kind of want to knock because I said, can we go in? She's like, uh, maybe if they let you. So I do knock, knock, knock. <laughs> and this guy opens up and, you know, I kind of say, I said, hi. I said, I'm, can I check out the lab? And he's like, okay. So they, uh, so I kind of explained to him that I'm touring the uh, school. I was really curious about the program. And they take me to this awesome lab. They have this huge red couch. I don't know if it's still there. Uh, they have lots of computers, game consoles, and they're like really studying, right? And they're kind of giving me feedback what you see Santa Cruz is and what they're doing and what classes they've taken. And I feel very, uh, kind of feel a little stuck here because I really wanted to go to USC, but it wasn't as beautiful as you see Santa Cruz aesthetically, like naturally. But at the same time, I heard so much from USC being number one. And you see Santa Cruz, I think, was in the top 30s. I think it was 25 at the time in the entire United States. So I didn't know which one was better. Well, in the end, when I finally got back, if I was accepted or not, uh, I did not get into USC. And I was kind of sad. But I did go into UC Santa Cruz. And it was the only other college I applied to. Even though I did through TAG submission, to me, doing all those uh, classes, such as, you know, physics, calculus, um, oh my god, those things are pretty hard. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> my parents didn't know that high of level of math, not even science. So I would always stay at the tutoring rooms and get help from teachers. Like I, I had to do a lot. I remember just so to prove myself that I can do this and learn it. Because if none of my family members could help me, then I had to do it on my own if I really wanted this. I definitely feel that 
because so my mom she has epilepsy which means she for her she has dyscalculia oh man what's that which makes it hard for her to do anything to do with math numbers oh so well she would try and help me she she would try and help me with my math homework and she was able to help sometimes but i kind of had to figure things out on my own especially when i made the mistake of taking ap statistics yeah. That was a bad life choice. She said I would enjoy it and it would be fun two weeks in. I'm like, Mom, you lie. <laughs> well, I think parents have to a little bit to make us do stuff. <laughs> but no, um, I would say it's, I, I'm actually very happy I went to UC Santa Cruz. I think looking at it back now, USC, their teams are very huge. It could go up to 10, I think to 40 people. Some people tell me because there's so much students in it. UC Santa Cruz, this program where you're normally on a dev team of five people. Maybe if you add in your artists and maybe extra help, it could get bigger. But normally it's a three to five person teams when I went to school there. And I feel like you get a lot more out of that than you have out of a big group because it's so easy to get drowned out in larger groups. Yeah. So that was that was a good thing that I thought, you know, you're more of an indie game dev style uh, but you have to do more stuff on your own. You know, you, you don't have as much help and it might take a lot longer, but you do learn a little bit more. At least that was my experience. And I know like uh, like with, with my dad, because I do talk about him like, like taking these tours and stuff. He uh, he was the first person that really bought me my favorite video game of all time. He bought me The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time on Nintendo 64. I still love it to this day. Nice. It is the one game that maybe turn my liking to video games into loving to video games because I kind of played it a little bit with my brother and dad because I wanted to do something with with them and when I would go to some of my friends house you know we played this little Barbie game where you kind of dress up your Barbie with her hair and on the computer put makeup on it's kind of like typical things because people think like oh okay that's a girl's game so you play girl's game but with my dad, you know, he knew I liked video games. I, I used to be obsessed with Didi's Con Racing on Nintendo 64. And every time we went to the movie store to rent a game or movie, my dad would always ask. He would say, he'd say, okay, Kelsey, you want to pick a new video game? And I go back and I run Didi Con Racing and give it back to him. And he's like, we just rented this. And he's like, I know, but I want to rent it again. I have to play it again. <laughs> And so I did this like for over a month. And finally, my dad saw like he went to the cash register because he saw I had Diddy Con Racing again. I wanted the rent. He just asked her. He's like, "Can I just buy her the game? Like, (laughs) please." Um, And so he bought the game, and I finished it. But it wasn't the game that made me love video games. Still, like, it's still a great game to this day. I I believe. I don't know if anyone would ever play it, but that game needs a remake. Uh, But Nintendo's Ocarina of Time from the Zelda series was such a beautiful story. And to me, I thought it was amazing. I felt like a heroine in it. Even though I was playing as a hero, it made me for the first time... Well, how's the hard way to put it? Imagine an eight-year-old trying to hypothesize, you know, like scientific stuff. And to me, I'm like hypothesizing the game a lot about like, oh my gosh, who's Ganondorf? Is Link going to do this? And I'll, ask, I'll tell my dad, I'm like, dad, here's my strategies, how I'm going to like beat him or how I'm going to beat this temple in the game. And I'll just kind of talk to him because I'm so excited about the story in the game. I'm so involved with it that it was the turning point thing in my life was playing that game. And if it wasn't for that game that my dad got me on my eighth birthday, I don't think I'd be in video games today because I, I would like them. But I didn't love them enough. And Ocarina of Time was the one game that made me really love it. And I think from that point forward, it made it helped me uh, guide my way to where I am today, I think. Because I still think about that game to this day. Um, I think a lot of its mechanics are still relevant. It's gameplay, it's story. 
it's just such a beautiful moment in my life. And I, I kind of, when I make games, I kind of want to make sure that that feeling I got with Ocarina of Time, I hope I bring that also to my players that will be playing my feature games. And it really means a lot because feeling that type of moments where you're just breathtakingly like shock and you're just so mesmerized by it. And when you end a game like that, whether it's Ocarina of Time or one of your favorite other games, there's this, it's kind of like a lost feeling. You're like, like, wow, you know, that was a, that was a wonderful journey. You know, I, I didn't want it to end. And so I'm hoping like my future games will also bring that type of feeling to players as well. And now that I feel like all you need is that one thing that causes the spark and then it's just, you just can't get enough of it. Yeah. And the next thing you know, it's taken over your life. Which it did. Which I go back to UC Santa Cruz. I Here I am. I'm doing what a lot of people didn't think I could do. And I, I followed my dreams pretty much. And you proved a lot of people wrong. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people go to college, you know, follow dreams. Or maybe they feel like they have to. But to me, I felt like education was my way out of poverty. Because I kind of looked growing up. I'm like, um, my dad would used to tell us. He's like, he's like, you know, do you like that house? Do you like that car you see? Do you like what she's wearing? Or you see what's in that window? And I'll say, yeah, yeah, I really like it. And he's like, well, get an education, he said. He said, education, you know, the more skills you have, more educated you are, the better job you can have. And he too, when I was growing up, he was going to college while taking care of us. While my mom was taking care of us, my dad went to college and he did like truck driving. He used to work at Taco Bell. Like he did really weird side jobs. He did anything he could to provide for us while still kind of shows an example like, hey, it's like, I'm going to go to college to give you a better future. And he did, you know, he, he became a teacher and he's still a teacher to this day. And I'm really proud of him. And I very much love him. And it was a pretty good example to show like how education can really help you. At least for my opinion, I feel like education helped me the same way. I don't feel like I have to uh, work in the really other odd jobs I've had to work at before. Uh, I used to work at McDonald's, which, by the way, be nice to the people that work at McDonald's. Do you think they want to work there? They don't. They, they, uh, it's, it's a tough, yeah. Be nice to all people in retail and in food services. Yes, retail, food service. Be nice to everyone. They do it because they have to. It's a job. Most of the time, it's a job, not a career. So just just be nice to them. They're making your food and getting your clothes in the back, right? There. But um. And most of the stuff you're yelling yeah. us yelling at us about is not actually our fault. Let's fast forward a bit to when you founded the San Francisco Bay Area Women in Gaming. Yes. Yeah, so this is what I'm in graduate school. So I just finished my undergrad. You know, I did my capstone project on Seance. Uh, we went to Indiecade with that. We were we were also a two-person team, I remember. So we we're like the underdogs with that project. And because of Seance, I w- went into the graduate program at UC Santa Cruz, uh, which is games and playable media. Media. It was a master's of science degree. And while I was there, I was working on a game called Tornado Tower for my capstone project. And I wanted to do Twitch streaming. And I thought, okay, what if I bring people from the outside of school? And I, I have some classmates play the game, and I would Twitch stream it, but I wanted to make sure I had people outside. So I was in this virtual reality group called, I think it was called a VR Women and Allies, I think it is. I think it's run by Eva Leon. But anyway, so I think that, that was a group where I joined, and I noticed someone named Katie Lee was on there. And I kind of said, like, I posted a post, like, hey, would someone love to go on my Twitch stream for school? I'm going to, I would love to stream this VR game called Channel Tower if anyone wants to kind of join and do, like, a cool QA stream. So Kenny Lee responds, and she's like, yeah, I'd like to do it. 
And she asked if she could bring her friend Nico. And I said, yeah, okay. Nico's a composer and a really good musician. He does projects. To, like today, he's working on projects that are in VR games at Oculus and other contract work. So I meet Katie and Nico. And Katie, you know, plays the VR game. I live stream it on Twitch. And, you know, she tells me what she's thinking. At the time, she was a QA at EA. And then afterwards, after the stream, you know, she kind of talks about, she's like, hey, she's like, I kind of started up this group called um, SFA or Women in Games. And, you know, I'm trying to get more women in it, more people in it. So I get kind of curious. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to do this. And so I kind of check it out. I made sure to go to every meeting and she would kind of do cool meetings in San Francisco and San Jose. And I really wanted to get more involved. So I kind of would tell her, it's like, oh, you know, I'd love to help out more. Like maybe is there any positions I can be on? So I kind of started becoming like her right hand person. And then after doing so much stuff with her, we went to the conference the first time with the conference. We did a lot of meetups. Uh, she began to kind of get busy. She kind of wanted to do like her own thing. And so she was leaving Sasha and me more in charge of the program, of not the program, but like the group. So I just initially took charge because I know what happens with groups. If you just stop being active on it and no one posts anything, no one does more meetups, it kind of dies. And a lot of groups can die that way, when, especially if one of the main leads goes away. Yeah, I've, I've seen that happen before too. Yeah, so I didn't want that to happen. I really love the group. I love the community in it I love the members in it and I really wanted to like okay it's like you know I didn't have this growing up I wish I had this when I was in college more you know and there's other people that want meetups so I said okay I'm gonna keep doing this more now Katie was definitely organizing maybe a couple of stuff but uh I started taking charge of the meetups I remember that I started um I mean this was a big one Uh, when she did the conference I remember the first time we did it was twitch (laughs) Well, well the conference is actually it's going into its third year It'll be, it's called Women in Gaming. We're going to hold it at Glue on March 2020, I believe on the 18th. Anyway, so the first time Katie comes to me in a message, she says, hey, she's like, I want to make a conference. And I was like, in my head, I'm thinking, that's going to be a lot of work, a conference. Like, how does one do that? Where do you begin with making a conference? Where do you, where do you begin? I was like, what? Okay. And and to me, I'm all like, that sounds a little crazy. That's going to be hard, but. You know, Katie's my friend and, you know, and I always love doing stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, what? if Katie wants to try it, why not? You know, look, OK, I'll get on board. I'll do this. And her and I definitely ran that first conference. I would check on one of the side talks going on. I would kind of check on people doing like the mini game jam and Twitch I even gave free swag away at the people that went. And it was it was really fun. But again, Katie, I know was starting to get busy and she was starting to get less active and she kind of decided like well okay um you know maybe we'll just make you like have you have a little bit more in charge of it and I kind of wanted to I I did tell her how like you know I really love this group so like you know if you feel like you don't want to be active anymore like you'll you know I'll definitely take care of it and stuff with Sasha so that's kind of like um I feel like that's been going on for the past year uh, when she went out of because she went out of the States and she was focused on her story time UX. I was also focused on the group a lot. And I kept I make sure like we kept up the monthly meetups. We started a board of advisors and then uh, I merged one meeting, but then I continued the monthly meetings on that. And now our board of advisors is helping us with the conference this year. A lot of communications I do talk to, like I, I had to talk to Glue about the venue and then I Microsoft contacted us and I'm talking to them. They really want to help with the conference. It's pretty exciting. And they're very excited about about the conference. Um, I was telling them how, you know, I'd love to do an esports event, maybe more mixers, like something else. And Microsoft seems interested. I'm not going to say they're going to do it. 
because, you know, no promises, but they are definitely excited about an esports event and doing more things with us because they love seeing how passionate I am with this group and how much I really want to help others. Because um, the main thing about the group is, you know, it's a fun place for people to sign up. I know, yeah, I might post articles, but the whole point was like, if I can make sure to make events, if I can bring a platform for women and allies to bring their voices to the table and share their experiences and stories in games and tech, I feel like, you know, I, I have done my job. You know, I want to make sure I'm that stepping stone to help women and girls and allies that uh, want to go out and do something. If they don't feel confident enough, it's like, well, let me be your stepping stone so you can step over the stream and get on the other side. Like, let me help you with that. And that's always how I've kind of been. It's great. It's a good feeling knowing if I help people. You know, it was the conference last year was great. We did held it at Glue for the first time. Andrew Alcott was our main Glue person that would help us organize that. Glue donated, I believe it was $10,000 last year. And we made sure we had free breakfast, free lunch. We made sure the whole event was free. We had speakers from GDC coming in for free. Uh, you know, we had some local journalists come in. Um, we really tried to make this very great. We also um, worked with Wiggy. Women in Games International. So Wiki, you know, is trying to get started up here. They, uh, I think there's like a couple of people in it, but still like we wanted to help each other out. And this year too, I would hope to work with Wiki again to help them out again as well. Even though Ball Games isn't Wiki, I do want to help other groups. And you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a good thing, you know, helping each other out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're all working together. We're all trying to do the same thing, aren't we? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so so this year, I'm definitely excited for the year 2020. I'm excited for this conference. You know, I, I definitely got excited being asked on the podcast here. I had an article um, recently about my streaming on Twitch. Um, I'm excited to work with Microsoft and just other groups. I I know Sacramento Devs, I think that's what their group is called. Uh, they, they asked me a couple months ago if I can come on a panel to talk about what I do as well in the group and what I do on the outside in games too. That's exciting. Yeah, um, because they saw this group, uh, the Bog Games group, doing pretty well in the Bay Area and they wanted to make like their own type of group uh, for games and because they didn't really have one they said and they really wanted to make one and so they reached out to Katie and me and Katie again was busy and so she kind of you know said like oh you know you want to like see and, and chat with them I said yeah of course so and you know again I wanted to help them out so I said of course you know I, I love to represent the group and everything and I'll, I'll go on your panel and it was it was really great I'm glad I was able to help them like be on their panel and they had a cool little showcase yeah, so cool things and I think I think they even had like extra life there from like a cool booth. So I'm kind of hoping uh, to reach out to extra life. Yeah, so I'm hoping I can reach out to them this year to see if I can do anything with the ball games group. And then like, you know, it's like I love to do an event just just to me, like, I would love to hold events that aren't just the women in gaming conference. Like, yes, that is beautiful. and That's wonderful. And but I think we still grow like I love to do an esports event to make sure women and girls feel comfortable to play esports with others um i would love to do more mixers uh, i would love to do more showcases where people get to show off their indie games whether it's vr ar or non-vr like more traditional 2d 2d or 3d games i love to do art and music showcasings because i know there are people in the game industry and tech that are huge audio people and also huge artists and I feel like when we go to game showcases, a lot of times it's very much on the game and you meet like the developer, right? But not everyone gives credit, I think, to the artists and musicians for games and, or for audio as well. So I would hope in the future I'd like to kind of showcase them so they can maybe sell their type of art and like bring some interest or information on their side. You know, I just want to reach out to kind of everyone and which is why I love 
the ball games group so much is we make sure like you can be a student an aspiring indie game dev you can work in vr ar you can work at google or um you can work at triple a AAA companies at the entry level or be a veteran in the game industry as well and it doesn't matter where you are if you love video games and you know you respect you know, the community then yeah welcome aboard you know if you're an ally as well and i think that the hardest thing is in the game industry um a lot of women do feel like sometimes they um i don't want to say oppressed but like it can be harder in some ways to to do their job or maybe to get ahead while grow, going up the ladder i guess you could say so for me it's a systemic industry issue that's been rearing its head and people are starting to speak out about it more which gives me hope for the industry because like it's something everyone faces but something that happens in all industries but it needs to stop and it's not going to stop if we don't address it yeah i do see that more people are addressing it i know emily buck uh she definitely is one person i've noticed that's a very big advocate she just i, I guess how she puts it like she kind of like will say how it is and she'll post that stuff on twitter and it's like dang you know kudos to her you know but but she's experienced stuff being at telltales for her and i, I think it's great to hear from her yeah. and like tiny the pass as a streamer and she kind of talks about some stuff and i i actually talked to her once this is back when i was working for a publication I, oh yeah three or four months i was the managing editor for a publication that covers like tech stuff in in the dfw area tech entrepreneurship so mm-hmm. around that was around when all that stuff happened with telltale so i did a phone interview with emily and i was gonna like run a story about that just because like that affects everywhere but the lady in charge decided not to run it so i'm thinking i'm just gonna like stick it in my portfolio well i met her because i used to work at a company at called endless entertainment that was uh that was my first job ever in the game industry about over a year ago oh man like going to the game industry from school it's not as easy as people think that's the one thing i will tell right now is if you go to school yes i think you have a stronger foundation than those that maybe had to learn on their own because they might not learn like the proper way to code. I've, at least from my experience, what I've seen, I'm not saying people that learn on their own don't know how to code. Yes, they can code. Uh, but people that were taught have a stronger foundation that I've seen personally. But going to graduate and going into the game industry or going to any job is not easy because I think a lot of people expect like, okay, I have this degree, now give me the job. That's not how this works. It really isn't. Otherwise, I wouldn't be at retail right now. Yeah, pretty much. I had like right after grad school, I thought I had this job at a virtual reality company at, at River Studios. I ran to the CEO and her kids on the train and, you know, I told her about my game. It was by accident. I was actually going to a virtual reality meetup and she was there with the kids. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this is her on the train. I thought that was so cool. And she, and I told her what I really want to do. I told her that I'm going to graduate and she wanted to interview me. And I said, okay. So I go to this interview and I was super stoked for it. And it, and she's, you know, I'm not going to say her name and stuff just for out, out of respect, uh, because, you know, I think she is a great developer. Um, but what happened, I didn't like with Nick. So she tells me, like, I pretty much have the job. And I said, are you sure? She's like, yeah, yes, you do have the job. You have like, this contract for like six months. I said, OK, that's great. Um, where's the paperwork, you know, to sign? Because in school, like when I was taught by MJ and he kind of said, like, you want to make sure you sign it. Otherwise, you don't you're not really hired. And she told me that, oh, it's like, OK, we'll give it to you next week's paperwork. Next week rolls by uh, and I messaged them. I said, oh, hey, you know, I'm ready to sign the paperwork uh, to start. And like, oh, no, uh, we're not ready. Just give us another month. And now a month passed. No, 
clearly I have only three months left in school and I'm going to get a little worried. Uh, sh- uh, I didn't look for any other jobs because I kind of, I don't think she really wanted me to time to understand. It's like, okay, yeah, if I have the job, why would I keep looking? Backup plan. But another math. Yeah. And she kept pushing it back. And it came to the point where I told her, it's like, look, it's like, am I going to sign this papers or not? You know, I'm very hungry. I have to pay rent because I was I was very stressed. Some of my classmates in grad school, um, they live in the Bay Area. They have they can live with their parents. Right. Or a family Mm -hmm. member that can pay for their rent and stuff. I did not have that. You know, like I said, my family cannot really be giving me rent money. You know, that that's for them to pay for their own housing um I had to figure out a way and to me I felt like if I had if I have to move back to my parents house I feel like that's the end of my game in- industry career because I'd be out of the bay area I would not be in the number one place for games and when I messaged River Studios back they never responded back to me and I pretty much got ghosted that made me really worried and I went to MJ and I told him like kind of what happened I said I don't know what to do and he's like well he's sometimes you can't depend on others like that and you know that that's unfortunate you had to experience that but you know time to look for other jobs and I said okay you're right but at that time I was about to graduate and I was worried about rent so I literally went on that same day to McDonald's near the school and I asked them if I can have a job and they gave me a job at McDonald's because I just told myself like do I want to work at McDonald's no but do I want to work in video games and I want to stay in the number one place that has game development yes and so I did what I had to do I did night shifts during the night I worked at McDonald's and then during the daytime I worked on my virtual reality game and I would apply and I started streaming um I I was pretty I felt very um what's the word uh I I don't want to say not confident but kind of like let down I felt like you know I went through all this hard work I did so much I just just worked so hard to get to this point I'm like am I really not going to get in this industry am I really not going to do this I just kept forcing myself to go to these events and then and then I actually met up with the person that where it was at River Studios and I because I went to Adventures Capital thing I would think it was Adventures Investment at the Giant Stadiums in San Francisco and we took our VR game there because I'm like let's just try something right and I saw her and I kind of asked her about the job I was like hey you know what happened I didn't hear from you and she said she felt bad that she couldn't tell me that they didn't have any more funding for me so she just didn't tell me. And if I look at her point of view, I understand, right? You don't want to let someone down. You feel bad because you promised them something. I'm like, I kind of get it, but in that situation, tell people. It's better to be open and honest than leave them sitting there wondering the entire time. Because that's yeah. <laughs> that can put people in really rough situations. Yeah, it was, right? <sighs> God, it was it was really tough now but I don't hold any hard feelings on her if it was her choice I know she would have hired me it was the company she worked at made bad decisions I believe so her personally I know she really wanted to but she wasn't in charge of the money the person in charge of the studio was and uh I don't know where they are I, I, I don't know if River Studios is still a thing so maybe I got lucky I, I don't know <laughs> So while I was working at McDonald's, I still went to the ball games meetup, right? I was still trying to get involved because in my head, like, let me be involved with these group. Let me try and go to these events, right? Let me feel like I'm still trying to get in this game industry because I was going to do anything I can to do it. Now, I've always been good at networking. I've always enjoyed I like connecting with people. And so I go to this meetup and this one lady, she worked at High Fidelity, which is a virtuality company, which was across where River Studio was on Folsom Street. And she kind of said, hey, you know, do you want to have a contract work at our company? You know, kind of check it out, you know. I was like, sure. You know, it was a VR company. So I went in there. It was a month contract. I'd go like two, twice a week. And I would go 
to the contract in San Francisco during the day. And then I have to rush on the Caltrain and walk from the Caltrain off Lawrence Street to go to my McDonald's job. So I'd sometimes work two jobs a day. And so I, I need to make sure I have rent money. I need to make sure I have a, like more stuff on my resume if I'm going to apply. I even had an interview at EA as an assistant producer. And I was so excited, right? I, I knew people there. And I kind of asked, like, hey, can you pass my resume to them? Because uh, as I've been told, it's better to give a warm resume versus a cold one. And what I mean by that is if you know someone that works at a company and you hand them your resume and say, like, hey, do you think your hiring person or whoever's in charge would like to look at my resume? And that person that works there will take the resume to that person in hand, right, or email it to them. And you're pretty much on top of the list out there, right? They're going to look at you before they look at a stranger's. Always incredibly helpful because I had that with I was trying to get a job at Bioware and like I Oh, Bio, I love that company. I, I'm like, I ended up getting turned down because I needed someone with a little more experience that could hit mm-hmm. the ground running. But since I'd send it to someone I knew there, I was able to like get the feedback on my gay writing sample. Oh, yeah. It was actually really helpful. And it also helped because like if I, if I ever get a shot there, the my friend there is their, is their like director of design. Nice. Yeah. So he's... He's the ultimate decision maker. I need to see how he's doing. I haven't talked to him in a while. <laughs> yeah. So at EA, I, um, I didn't get the job, but I definitely, they did like a, a phone interview with me and they wanted me to come in in person and go in and get in jobs that those big companies aren't easy to get. And I remember I was exhausted, right? I did this huge long shift to like three in the morning and I had to wake up and make sure to get ready for this EA interview. And I was exhausted, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of money, so I had to Uber or take the train. And then I had to Uber back to my McDonald's work. And I didn't get, get the job, unfortunately. I think I was definitely like their top three person. They were considering the HR person, uh, the recruiter, he actually called me personally, you know, he, he said that he was telling me that he's like, you know, I don't normally call people, but he's like, I was really rooting for you. You know, you had like a really great personality. There are people that did like you and they went with someone that interned the year before. So if that person didn't hire, right, if that that person didn't apply, then I think I actually would have gotten the job. But um, hey, that's still pretty impressive. You got close. Yeah. So I'm still at McDonald's. I still work in this VR game. Um, I'm very tired. And then I get a LinkedIn message from Stacy Mason. And Stacy Mason, I think, had done some work at Telltale Games. And she's a UC Santa Cruz alumni. And she messaged me right after I had this long shift at McDonald's. And I wake up from the message on LinkedIn. She's like, hey, are you still looking for a job in the game industry? Yes. And I'm like, yes. Yes, I am. And she's like, like you know, she's like, there's this new mobile company called Endless Entertainment, and they're looking for some, you know, entry level, especially a woman, would you be interested? I said, of course, of course. She's like, okay. She's like, let me introduce you to Zach Linton. And, you know, Zach Linton, he, uh, he was the CTO of Endless Entertainment. He also worked at Telltale Games before. I don't know his position, though, at, at Telltale. He, once him and I connect, he immediately um, contacts me and asks about the job. He's like, you know, I'm looking for an assistant, a recruiter right it's just an hr recruiter and someone that can also be uh, like kind of help out with around the office and other xyz now i didn't want to go in hr but i've always been told that you might not always start in a job that you love in the beginning no matter what career you do 
And I'm thinking this like, okay, this could be the step into that open door. Like here, I can open the door and start actually going through it and get into the game industry. So I said yes to it. It it is at least within a game company. It may not be the exact Mm -hmm. area you want to be, but you will be in the same building as the people who you want to be. Yeah, I, I agree. It's It was great. And I started to do it. They did say they're based in Oakland. Now I'm in South Bay of the Bay Area and Oakland's on East Bay. It's, you know, it's very, it's high North. It's a Northeast. And I was going to go to do this job no matter what. I went to McDonald's and said, hey, you know, like I'm giving my one week notice. I, I got a new job. And to be fair, some of those uh, one person did admit that she didn't think I was actually going to make it. She thought I was going to come back to McDonald's because I saw her after I got got into Endless and I went to McDonald's because, you know, I got hungry and I actually wanted to have a cookie. <laughs> actually, no, I think I didn't get go to the food. I actually went to the pick up my last paycheck and one of them did, did admit that I didn't think I was going to make it. They thought I was actually going to come back to McDonald's. And I said, well, no, um, <laughs> It's like that's okay. You're partially right. Yeah. It's not what you thought. Yeah, it's like I'm. I'm not. It's like because the difference was working the retail or any food industry was that was a job, not a career, and so exactly. I also was kind of like the assistant with to the CTO and the CEO and CEO at times because they would ask me to make their meetings and I would set up these meetings and these calls for them and I met great people that used to be Telltale workers like Juan Baca and Mike Bridge was he didn't work at Telltales I believe but he was an alumni and so I talked to him a lot and have advice I met great people like Sarah was awesome she was our QA manager at Endless and it was always fun to talk to her and get advice and she's just meet these amazing people and veterans in the game industry Mm -hmm. well uh, after we hired the HR manager there uh, they did let me go and I didn't want to hold any hard feelings because I understood, like, yeah, it was, it kind of sucked because now I'm out of the job again. It's been like nine months at Endless at the startup company. And I really want to not be an HR person anymore because I was here looking for people then to hire, but I wanted to be on the other end. Like I wanted some to come look for me and hire me. And so when I got laid off, it was kind of like a blessing disguise. The CEO was actually very nice. He, well, they all were really nice. Like endless, like the people there I thought was really great. They're very kind. They really want to uh, make sure I was well. So the CEO called me up on Zoom and he wanted to make sure if I was okay. And I did ask for a severance package. So they did give me two weeks. But the CEO was like, well, he's like, I want to make sure you're okay. So I'm going to give you a little bit extra money. So he gave me like, uh, I think a little bit like $800 more just to be safe to make sure I was okay. That's nice. I thought that was very kind. He didn't have to. Last time I got let go, I got a week's pay and I was making minimum wage. Yeah, right. So Endless, unfortunately, I think they went under because they were funded by NBCU. And NBCU, if you heard publicly, they cut the funds to all their projects, which included the gaming gaming industry area. So I felt really bad for Endless. Super rough. So here I am now again, even though I can try and ha- use a severance pay, I think I went on um, unemployment because some of my coworkers at Endless said they went through it and they told me what to do. And I didn't want to be in this situation forever. And so one of my friends, he was a former classmate in my grad program and he worked at Toys for Bob. He was, um, he kind of mentioned, he's like, well, he's like, do you want to try Twitch streaming? You know, it's, it's like, do you, you're pretty good at it. He, he thought. And I got kind of nervous. I haven't Twitch streamed since school, right? And I'm like, I don't know. Would I even be good at it? He thought I had a pretty good personality for it. And I decided to give it a shot. 
And I tried some on the PC. He even let me borrow his PS4 and some games. And mm-hmm. what, and my friend Ray Joe, he works at a mobile company right now in Berkeley for games. I forgot the company's called though. Um, he actually let me borrow Horizon Zero Dawn. So my first Twitch streaming game was Horizon Zero Dawn. And that game was amazing. But that game also opened up to me that there are people that would just come watch me, right? They wanted to enjoy watching me play Horizon Zero Dawn while I got to explore stories with others. And I never really got to experience Twitch streaming like that, like I did with the Trinity Tower game. Because Trinity Tower, I made it feel like a guest and host type of style. There were times I did Twitch stream at school and I was making the game and that was last, last like eight hours, but it wasn't very often. But when I would Twitch stream now, I feel like I'm kind of like with friends. Right? There, there, there are people that will keep coming to my streams a lot. Like I have good followers. Like they're really awesome. It's a small base, but I hope it does grow more. There's streamers known as Zunok, Davis, um, X Spoken Galaxy, Raccoon Buffoon, and there's also others. I can't remember their usernames all the time, but it's our, uh, like Diana Moon. They would come into my streams and they just wanted to really support me and they just loved watching me play these games and experience them. And I got to experience it with them. And it was just so much fun. So I just, so ever since then, because of my former classmate, I decided to keep playing them. I keep streaming and I feel like I became a Twitch affiliate and that really helped. Now at this time, it's been like two or three months now, and I'm still on unemployment. I'm still trying to apply to games in, in games industry. And then, you know, because I'm exhausted, I remember I was tired. And then I decided to go to this this mixer for Game Dev Drink Up that's hold by Warren Price. I think Warren works at Ubisoft. And I didn't want to go at first. So I'm like, I don't know. But I told myself, you know what? An incomplete guide to world domination is directed and produced by Brianna Twybert as part of Pseudonym Social, a creative podcast network. Music is by Patrick Chester of Chester Studios. You can find more of his work at chesterstudios.net. If you would like to help support our show, you can find us at patreon.com slash pseudonymsocial. You can also leave a review on iTunes to make our show easier to find for those who need it. For more information on the other shows produced by Pseudonym Social, please check out our website at pseudonymsocial.wordpress.com.